is. Okay. So, aloha. Welcome, everybody, to Conversations with Calvin. Yeah. So, Calvin has been an ardent student and adventurer into the reality behind the myths and misunderstandings of personal histories. He studied for over 20 years as one of the personal students of the renowned master teacher Thane of Hawaii in Thane's fourth way mystery school called the Prosperos. Calvin has been a Prospero student since 1967. He's a member of the High Watch Organization of the Prosperos, meaning that he has made a commitment that is a pledge to undertake tasks to support the ongoing operations of the school and its instruction as it is being presented around the world. This, coupled with his demonstration of knowledge of the major classes of the Prosperos, is what designates him as a High Watch member. Calvin is also a mentor in the Prosperos, meaning that he is an ordinate minister within the Prosperos to teach Prosperos classes and to do lay counseling under the auspices of the Prosperos organization. In the 1980s, Calvin created and taught a class entitled Grooming Dynamics, in which he introduced a holistic self-integration process for self-image and empowerment for the average man or woman for people wanting to move into their undiscovered tomorrows. Calvin has taught live classes, seminars, and workshops in Arizona, California, Michigan, Oregon, and Washington states. He engages in community and group dynamics projects in the US and globally. Today, Calvin is engaged in life coaching in conjunction with his mentoring practices for those interested in creating for themselves a more optimal lifestyle. He creates personalized packages, allowing students to have more access to their skills and talents, to get beyond conflicts and to redefine their world, to discover their bit of authentic magic found within themselves and to unleash their potential through the practice of the methods. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you, Mr. Calvin Harris. Aloha, and welcome to another Prospero's event of continuing education. As we know, life's education does not stop after high school or university, but continues as a lifelong experience. And we learn in so many ways about ourselves. Ourselves, our I am. Now, that term, I am, can be self-observation. Self-observation can bring a person to the realization of the need for self-change. And in observing him or herself, one can begin to understand that self-observation is a key instrument of self-change. Um, it's sort of like <laughs> becoming half awake, as it were. There is a story about this that uh, happened during the turn of the last century. A, a young man in the Eastern Hemisphere of the world, his name was Gurdjieff or Gurdjieff, however you'd like to pronounce it, found himself in a half-awakened state of self-observation. Finding his sense of I am changing and on his journey to enlightenment, he had met some pretty remarkable people and had some extraordinary experiences. His journey has taken him through Central Asia and the Middle East. And as his journey unfolded, he began to teach. In the 1920s, he was still yet unknown in Europe, but that was about to change. These extraordinary experiences of over 20 years, he wrote in a book. And it, that book, you could say, was part travelogue, part adventure, part spiritual guide. It was called Meetings with Remarkable Men. This book vividly described his encounters with the people who also were on their journeys and who aided him in his search of knowledge, who taught him a new way of living. 
they were his fellow seekers, many on the journey um, a bit longer than himself and could help this young man un, uh, un, uncover, discover the answers to who we are and what it means to live fully. Now, the story did not end there with the uh, teacher Gurdjieff. It is carried through his students, such as Thane of Hawaii, who became my teacher, and through Thane's school has allowed my journey and my chance to meet extraordinary people living diverse and interesting lives on our journey to discover the I am. So in that tradition, I would like to introduce my guest today, Prospero's alumni student, Sue Beck. Sue, I am so excited to welcome you today. You've Thank led you. such an interesting life. <laughs> now, speaking from what I know of your background, you hold designations as a high watch mentor, uh, as a high watch member and a mentor uh, which you have held office in both associations. Now, you have done speaking uh, uh, from the podiums uh, at various events, live class teaching, and workshops for the Prosperos, as well as being a Prospero trustee. Now, I'm sure there's some things in there that I've missed. Uh, uh, Sue, tell me about that. Well, I was the school's first docent. Um, Thane felt that there needed to be a designation of a person that was dedicated to learning as much as they could about the Prosperos and learning how to share that with others. And so I was the first docent. Um, docent is the intermediary step to becoming an interning mentor. Ah, yes. Okay. And that's after the high watch. Yes. Um, and I believe um, that I had mentioned something about the high watch earlier. Um, uh, that uh, being the um, decision to work within the school and to have it go forward. Yes. and taking on some of the obligations that that school has. Now, mentoring on the other side is when you get into the teaching and counseling aspect. So yes, uh, there, you have had varying experiences within that. Now, your life has taken on some interesting twists and turns. And can you tell us some key events uh, or note, note, noted events that you have? Just maybe a title or two, and then uh, we'll see if we can get into some of it within this short time frame. If not, we'll just have to have you back. <laughs> My life has taken a lot of turns. Um, I was a, a wife in Colorado, and uh -huh went to the Prosperos in California. Um, oh, now that's an interesting story right there. Okay, so that's one event. And then from there, we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, uh, after that? I went into the military. Okay. And uh, developed my therapeutic licenses and skills. Okay. So I rolled out of the military and went into private practice. Okay. Uh, worked for the judicial system of the County of Orange uh -huh. and retired from all of those things to work on special projects that I feel are important for the improvement of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, there was one, and maybe we'll get into that a little bit later too. Uh, uh, you even went into the seminary at one point, didn't you? I uh, went into the seminary. Um, uh -huh. Fane encouraged me to develop programs within prison systems. Mm -hmm. And so uh, those were other pathways that yes. are simultaneous to just having a life in the midst. So as you can see that uh, the 
that awakening of the full potential of the person of the I am is really amazing and can go a long way. So um, uh, let's talk about uh, your journey into the Prosperos. You say you were married at that point. Uh, I was and, married and living in Colorado. Uh -huh. um, I had been friends with my then husband. We were friends with Chris and Gary Larson. They were students of Thane's. And eventually, they moved to California to be yes. closer to the center. Yes. Uh, but they introduced us. Uh -huh. And so Suzanne Deacons and David Wyman. Okay, so Suzanne and David, who is here today, yes. uh, uh, um, uh, was... Um, what were they doing in uh, Colorado? Did they were they teaching or something? They were considered roadrunners. Ah, okay. Left California and went on the road to present classes and open meetings and ah, group talks. Yes, we invited them to our home, and they came to talk to us about the Prosperos. And Suzanne Deacons, as a mentor, became a lifelong friend. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. um, she gave us all the information about that. And then unfortunately, or fortunately, I, I don't know, I was involved in a catastrophic criminal event. And my then husband decided that the only hope for me was to send me to California so that Thane could fix me. <laughs> I, I thought I was going to be neutered. <laughs> so as we can see from this, uh, that um, that individuals may have some kind of expectation, but uh, um, uh, I, I, I don't think that, um, that if he had gotten you back, it would have been the same person that he thought, uh, or with the same uh, um, thoughts of what was going to take place would happen. <laughs> no, I became much more independent, dynamic, forceful, much more responsible. Yes. But the independence of being able to think for myself and do things for myself really came to the foreground when I joined the Prosperos. I think that uh, that, um, that that is key, that ability to have uh, accountability and responsibility. And for so many young people that came to the school, I think this is something that uh, that in their own homes or in their situations they were dreading or fighting, but realized or naturally took on uh, at that time. So that's interesting. Now, uh, in the Prosperos um, uh, and that Prospero culture, uh, what was it that you were most Im uh, impressed with? Would it have been the, the people, the teacher? Um, they have a thing called group dynamics. Uh, would you um, let us know about uh, some of that? Well, I arrived in Los Angeles Airport with $12 and a bag of clothes. Oh, my. <laughs> Chris Larson picked me up and took me to her apartment where she said she was going to go to work the next day, and I was going to go to the service center to be a volunteer the hours that she was at work. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. I didn't know about the group dynamic at that point. Um, but I was introduced at the center to Stephen Obar, uh -huh. who grabbed my wrist and said, you're in for a ride. <laughs> we then became the daily volunteers of anything that had to happen. Yes. Uh, there was a meeting every morning, and uh, people decided what they were going to volunteer to do, yes. or what needed to be done, and we did it. It was fun, and if you didn't know how to do something, you were taught. Mm -hmm. And so it allowed me to see the larger world of the Prosperos with all the mail and phone calls and, and projects that were going on and teachers we had on the road and mm -hmm. reports that had to be distributed. I was involved in every single class that happened at the center. 
-hmm. I took public speaking. I studied how to sing with Afton Pitt. I somewhat learned how to run the print machine with Andy Sanders. (laughs) I learned how to do bulk mailings, um, how to introduce people. Um, I never became adept at running the audiovisual materials. Mm-hmm. I was not a technical person, and that was identified <laughs> rather quickly. Yes, yes. I it's interesting. It's I, interesting I, okay. um, uh, that um, all of the skills that individuals uh, come up to and uh, uh, learn, and then can be adapted to other things, other uh, life goals or purposes later. So it's interesting that you bring that up. You also um, talked a bit about uh, being picked up at the uh, airport and um, and uh, the care and nurturing of students for you there. Uh, also, um, uh, uh, Sandy Sandoz or, uh, is interesting too because um, I remember there was a, a a gathering and my mother had come to a Prosperous event and there was uh, something that had occurred and she was distraught and how uh, Sandy Sandoz and her partner uh, um, um, Stella rush were there and and help my mother through that situation and and again these were quite adept women at all sorts of uh, things running the press uh, and that was not an easy press it was uh, was not an easy thing but um i understand that uh, uh, helen and sandy also had helped you Sandy Sandoz and Stella Rush became my local mothers. Mm -hmm. They took me in their car. They took me around. They introduced me to people. They let me stay at their house. They fed me. Um, They taught me to drink Brandy Alexander's. (laughs) (laughs) They encouraged me in every way. They then introduced me to Del Martin and Phyllis Lyons Mm -hmm. with the Daughters of Belitis, Mm -hmm. and Del and Phil became my godparents. Ah, uh and and Billy Talmadge also, I believe, belonged to that. Billy Talmadge was another uh, Uh mentor, Mm -hmm. and uh, she and Jim Renza were always taking an interest in what I was doing and how I was doing, and and giving me ideas on how I could do it even bigger or larger or more. And so they encouraged me to do public speaking, to develop seminars, and to get on with my life. It was in combination with Helen Sandoz and Thane Walker. Mm -hmm. They both encouraged me to develop a prison project with Robert Matusiak, another mentor. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. So your relationship with Thane, because uh, there are those of us, and we all have our stories of our relationship with Thane as being personal students of uh, his, uh, that many of the students coming after us would not have had that advantage. Um, could you tell us something about that uh, relationship, about encouraging you to get outside of the school and do other events such as this prison program? Um, Thane asked me at some point early in my being around the Prosperos to write him a monthly report of what I was doing and how I was feeling and how I was using RHS and translation in my life. Now, those are the two major classes within the Prosperos. Um, translation is that which is to get us more in in touch with our beingness, with our I amness, uh, and uh, out of the th- third dimensional uh, concepts of ourselves that we believe ourselves to be. Uh, 
the RHS is uh, more of a uh, to deal with the um, emotional debris that we may have in regards to that, wouldn't you say? Yes, I would. Yes, okay. I would. So it's working with these two um, techniques is what Thane was having you um, uh, comment on and your progress with yes. in relation to real life uh, situations. Thane and I were not close in proximity. Mm -hmm. We were letter writers yes. back and forth. Um, I saw him at class events, but it was always at the distance of he was the speaker and I was the student. So I can't say that I had a personal in-person relationship. I had an at-distance literary relationship, I guess. Well, uh, I think it's important because it was, uh, and I say personal only from the s a standpoint of that he was... Uh, personally interested in what you were doing. Yes, in every item. Okay. Yeah. And in one of the morning meetings at the center, he put in, an, in a report that there was a young man in the California prison system named John who needed to get copies of the Prosperos classes on cassette tapes, and he needed a specific cassette player that had the ability to record removed from it. Mm -hmm. That was a requirement by the prison system. He couldn't record anything, but he could listen to things. And I timidly held up my hand and said, well, I would look into that and try to get that sorted out. And so I volunteered to fill that link with John. Um, I was able to contact the prison association, find out their specifics, take uh, a tape player and recorder to something similar to the, the um, Best Buy Geek Squad, <laughs> explained what I needed, and they removed the ability to record mm -hmm. from the their machine. This uh, young man, uh, John, uh, uh, if you take Prospero's classes, and uh, especially the RHS class, uh, his name will come up. Uh, 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 he was uh, uh, someone that uh, the Prospero's was trying to help and had really uh, had serious uh, problems at uh, that point. But it's interesting because when you uh, talk about that and then the prison system and that, that seemed to have been one of the directions that your life took you in, uh, even to the extent of where <laughs> your father would say from time to time, um, uh, uh, when people came over and asked how you were doing and he would, and he would say, oh, she, oh, She's still in prison. Could you tell us about that? that well, at one point when I was visiting uh, my parents in Colorado, I was walking down the street with my dad, and he came up to a friend of his. I didn't recognize the person, but I was standing next to dad waiting for the conversation to end. And the man said, oh, and Herb, um, how's your daughter in California? Papa looked at the ground, shook his head, and said, you know, she's in and out of prison all the time. <laughs> and he never explained that that was my job. <laughs> he left the man with his mouth open and said, and my Papa said, well, we need to be getting on. <laughs> and we left him. <laughs> standing there with his mouth hanging open. So as as you can see the the um the roles that we play that we don't have to identify with and the humor that comes out of that when we can play with life yes. when we can be aware of uh, the different uh roles that we play or the different I ams that we can have in that so that can uh, so uh from uh 
uh, your Prospero's beginning and the information and the learnings that you took, then it seems to have taken you into that um, direction of wanting to help people more. And with that comes that whole concept of in life, there is a dual purpose that we have what we uh, require or as a goal, but to see that how we can work within a structure to be able to uh, achieve our goals. Um, we, we kind of see that within the school structure of the Prosperos, but uh, from your understanding of uh, that structure and accountability and responsibility and your goal to wanting to, to help others uh, and perhaps maybe needing more education, uh, that led you to the Army. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, while I was in the school, I learned that you could accept a plan, but if you said, I'm going to do it, you had to do it. Yes. And you had to give reports on what you were doing and how you were accomplishing it so that the entire group understood. Yes. My mother was retired army. Mm -hmm. And in my letters to and from Thane, we discussed that, and he said that might be something you'd want to look into. Mm -hmm. So I did, and was immediately taken with the education they would be willing to give me, the experiences that I could not have afforded, um, going to jump school, learning how to repel, um, flying around. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, that is really interesting. Uh, so let's let's get into that a little bit uh, more. Work with this. How um, how did that work for you when you went into the military? Uh, that whole dual purpose situation. What what went on there with for you? Well, when I joined the uh, Army, United States Army, um, I was caught between wanting to duplicate my mother, um, who had retired Army Nursing Corps. Um, I wasn't a nurse, didn't want to be a nurse. And so I went in as a mental health professional and um, was given a direct commission by President Jimmy Carter. So I entered um, Medical Services Corps as a captain and very quickly found a wealth of education that they had, as well as ways that I personally could be working on making the world a better place. I worked, I had two medical commands and I had an, uh, an adjutant general command um, took command in general staff college, graduated from that in the top 10%, had experiences with the military that I could not have afforded. Um, I went to jump school. I learned rappelling. I learned many medical skills. And so it was, it was a wonderful association of the United States Army and myself. So it, with that, then there's that concept of, of it also uh, uh, afforded you a way to, to pay for your education. Yes. And at the same time, uh, in that dual um, uh, dual purposes thing, what was your understanding of your responsibility to the to the army at that point to do my level best to take care of the wonderful people that i was in support of and involved with uh, i was a medical commander and uh, we supported active troops in forward areas we supported medically people that were in combat environments or force-on-force -force environments. Um, I did critical incident debriefings 
with people that had gone through serious traumatic events, such as the Nigerian bombing of the, uh, the office that we had uh, there. I gained as much as I give. Yes. The army said, be all you can be. That was their goal. And I took them for that, um, did as much. I was constantly taking on new experiences. And throughout that, I was continuing my longstanding monthly letter to thing. Um, As which of that, and that's interesting you mentioned that, because um, there was a, an award that he had given you at that time, and that was? <laughs> uh, I was the first Androgyne um, Award winner um, because he felt that I combined femininity and masculinity in equal parts. Um, that was when I sent him a photo of me um, manning a machine gun <laughs> and <laughs> he laughed uproariously um i'm told and then he wrote me and he said that i was a wonderful meld of those <laughs> two because that's one of the uh, situations in the prosperos is not to be caught in any um guys or or um identity that if we stick with the I am, then we can play any role that, that is necessary. Um, I found that uh, our Dynamics Art Lab, um, our uh, off-Broadway productions, yes. had me playing many, many roles. And with the Army, I'm sure that your work with the group Dynamics must have played a great part also with that in working with people. Absolutely. When you are a leader, you need to be able to explain exactly what your vision is so that it goes to the lowest ranking person and is equally understood by everyone so that they know what direction you're going, what your goals are, what you will hope to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, the group dynamic training that I had with the Prosperos really helped me to form good cohort groups within my commands and to encourage people to take the risk, do the extra, go forward and be all they could be, as well as experiencing the success of trying on new ways of doing things trying on new ways of doing things. Uh, I think it was interesting that um, Mary Ridley, or as she later became known as MR, wanted to try on uh, new th ways of doing things and became a, a, an Episcopal priest. Uh, it's interesting that, so that she had that wider audience that she could play to, which is what um, I saw in visiting her in one or two of the uh, church situations that she was in. And I think she was uh, instru uh, instrumental in your decision to, to, uh, to do seminary also, wasn't she? Yes, she was. She encouraged me um, to go into the seminary um, for the Episcopal Church. And to complete that, I focused on metaphysical Christianity and how those types of meditations and metaphysical experiences had made a vital church. Yes. Um, and I combined that with my training within um, a sangha, um, a Buddhist group, as well as my prosperous teachings. Mm -hmm. It's interesting uh, because the times that I saw um, Mary when she was teaching, she would look at me in the midst of it. She'd wink, and all of a sudden what you were getting was straight ontology. Yes. And she had some of the largest crowds that were going. <laughs> yes. Uh, there was one time uh, 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 MR or Mary had continued writing quite a bit also. And there was a time that she was putting out the uh, book. Um, uh, she did books for 
women's causes as well as gay causes. And I think at that time it was the book uh, called God of Our Mothers. Yes. And yes. she had come from, uh, I think, the San Francisco area down to her church in Westchester, West, Westchester California. And uh, uh, you and I had gone to that event. <laughs> and um, afterwards, it was like old times of... Um, there we were in the, um, uh, she had asked us to stay after everyone had left. So it was the two of us plus the, um, the director. Uh, and I think that poor man was just a little shocked. <laughs> yes, because we was talking about all the things she did with the Prosperous. <laughs> Performances, she was breaking into song of things that she'd done with Carol Carter. And... I'm sure she did stun him a bit. <laughs> and tales of ourselves. <laughs> yes, yes. And she recalled our younger selves mm -hmm. and brought them into clarity that I really didn't necessarily want at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> we were sitting in line and talking about her. She was explaining living in a co-op and doing all of these wild extravagant things and sharing her love for the school as her springboard into other things. So the, the importance of being in community and having uh, that uh, spur you on is that it's not that we are uh, on this journey alone, but with the individuals that we, that we are on that journey, we help each other to not only pick each other up when we fall, but also to encourage us to go even further. Uh, how would you... Um, picture that or, or say that? We are the cheering section for other people to go forward and do wonderful, incredible things. <coughs> yes, yes. <coughs> Excuse me. We share our successes and we share with other people their successes, how they have arrived where they are, what they're doing. You have to have the love of people in their infinite variety. Mm -hmm. You have to be encouraging of each other to see how you can develop every facet of you, not just the ones that you thought you should, but the ones that were hidden, the ones that were hanging on the edge and saying, maybe sometime I'll have time for that. Well, the time was now. <laughs> yes. That's, yes. And that's the one thing that we can help each other. The time is now. <laughs> yes. So uh, uh, what then, how would you then... Um, use the terms responsibility and accountability within that, that uh, setup? Thane taught when I started taking classes that you wanted your life to reflect it being good for others, that you worked on yourself, then you worked on your community, and then you worked on your world. Mm -hmm that you never did anything that wasn't good for all levels. You wanted to make the world a better place, but it started with the language you used, the way that you approached things, and that you needed to have the discipline and responsibility by releasing yourself and those others by translating smallest grain of sand to the largest galaxy you could imagine. To look at all of those things through a clear-mindedness 
of translation. And that is what lasted me a lifetime. I still translate. I still work with RHS. I keep lists of the things that I'm working on next to prayer lists because they're really, they're the same. You're asking for clarity in these things and you're wanting to go forward, leaving the world better. And so that was really where responsibility and accountability, you are accountable for your actions. You are responsible for the way that you treat other people. You're responsible for the way that you leave them. And so you have that to make sure you're being kind to the people and building bridges rather than attacking people and leaving them bleeding in the curb. So, uh, so in a way, what we're talking about is aspirations to live an authentic life would then be through um, the accountability and responsibility to to those um, those aims and goals. Authentic life can only be done when you have cleared out all of the emotional baggage that you have been reacting to life from, and you begin to look at the expression of love, clarity, truth in action. When you start understanding that the world is based on truth and the syllogism of truth being all there is. When you start looking at that, you can then begin growing but not before. Right, and this is where that full release of human possibility then takes place. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Clarity, it's such a wonderful word. And it really shows um, um, enlightenment or light uh, that you've lit the way. Mm-hmm that it is the light. And when you start realizing that the light is within you and it's only through the expression that you're able to go out there and share it with other people, that's when the fun of life really starts happening, mm -hmm. is when you're sharing, when you're encouraging other people. And when they're there, to be around your successes. That's, yes. that's, that's the happy circle. <laughs> that's that business of where you have challenged yourself uh, beyond what you think you normally would or could do. Absolutely. The, and we're always at that point of choosing. And there's always something more that you not only can do, <laughs> but there's something more you can learn. There's something yeah. more that you can require of yourself in going forward. And it appears, and we always have that choice of doing it or not doing it. Correct. But in the doing, in that, and sometimes that can feel like a struggle, I, 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 I know. <laughs> right. But then... You dig within yourself and find out what are the barriers? What's the baggage I've been carrying? Where is it coming from? What, is, what are the associations? And you work within yourself to find those things, resolve them through releasing the hidden splendor and going forward. Yes, another way of feeding your innate beingness. Yes, yes. Yes. And doing it every day as a discipline, mm -hmm. not as something bad to you, but as something that requires structure and daily completion so that you can go forward. It increases your ability to find joy in the world. Absolutely. So uh, um, structure and discipline, these words will uh, help one to arrive at uh, happiness. Do you think? It certainly will. It certainly will. When you start being as honest on the outside 
as you are on the inside and vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have clarity and truth flowing through you and onto someone else, that's when you start living and living large. And that's so important. Living large. Yes. And that is the self that has been brought to its innate beingness of what else is there about me? What else? And so it's that, that continuing, the continuing education that we talked about earlier. Always that, learning. Always. Yeah. Uh, and what is there about ourselves that, that moves us forward? Uh, in the business of the group dynamics in helping one another in moving forward, that does not mean that we're always going to agree uh, with each other, but it is seeing the uh, that potential, that innate being in each other. I, I, I think we can say uh, in our long history that uh, that we've never always agreed on on anything, but there has been that openness uh, between us, would you say? Yes, I would. And no, we have not always. Sometimes we've had a drag out <laughs> uh, where we were standing in different rooms shouting at each other. <laughs> and at the same time, it always came back to the love that we had, the experiences, life experiences we'd shared, houses we'd shared, <laughs> and being able to look at the other person's point of view. Yes. which really is training within RHS. Yes. You have to be able to see the other person's point of view. Yes. yes. And release them, release yourself from all of the erroneous messages that came in that package mm -hmm. and get back to the authentic self in them, in you, the God heart of both of you, and the consciousness that was there. That's where these teachings are so important. They help you see the God consciousness in that other person and in yourself. That I amness, that light. True. Yeah. Uh, Sue, I want to thank you so much for um, this conversation today. This has just been wonderful. Um, to kind of um, put a, um, a, a dot on the uh, end of this, I'd like for uh, us to listen to the song about the clarity or light that uh, we are, the, the I am light. Wonderful. Yeah. Rick, can you play that for us? Yes, let me get this queued up. Give me one momento.
mistakes that I have made Or any of the things that cause me pain I am not the pieces of the dream I left behind I am light I am light I am I do want to thank everyone for being here today, and um, I look forward to the next time we can do a conversation. And uh, and until uh, we are together again, I will say aloha. 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 Thanks, everyone. Thank, thank you, Calvin. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Next meeting with Calvin is going to be on September 27th at 11 o'clock Pacific time. Please join us then. Until then, aloha. <laughs>